welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. In Long Beach, as it is in heaven, when we think about the next season, whoa, it's quite dark. Did I shut the lights off? I probably did. Hold on, let me, let me go back here. I'm doing, I'm doing so many things today. I was doing parking earlier. Now I'm doing lights. It's so great. <laughs> okay, there you go. For those of you that have real Bibles. Um, so <laughs> when we think about the future, when we think about where are we going to be in five years from now, um, when we think about what will this city look like, when we plan, when we hope, when we dream, when we create budgets and organize communities and community groups, when we invite people into ministry, when we put people on stage, when we do everything we do, it's all fueled under this guiding, driving force, which is really our prayer. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in Long Beach as it is in heaven. We are essentially saying that we want to see God bring the life that he promised, the life that he has invited everyone into. Um, Now, we're wanting to experience that life here and now. What does it look like for us as a church to embody this vision. We desire God's kingdom, his way of life to be expressed and rule in Long Beach, in Lakewood, in in Culver City, in Los Angeles, in Seal Beach, in Newport, in Orange County, in Costa Mesa, in Anaheim, in Westminster. We desire to see God's way of life manifested here and now. And what that means for us as a church, well, it means all sorts of things, but when we look at cities, it means zero. It means zero divorce, divorces. It means zero orphans in those cities, right? It means zero poverty, zero homelessness. It means we are working to see God's economy come to the rest of the city. When we envision this type of future, when we, when we look towards it, we have a vision that's so big, but it begins with you as an individual. It begins with your life. We have a vision for your life. I believe that God desires for you to thrive here and now. That means you might suffer. You might endure hardship. I'm not talking about God wants to give you a Cadillac. Just $5 and God's gonna give you a Cadillac. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) That's not the gospel. I'm saying God desires life for you. He desires for our community. When I dream of our community, when when we talk about the vision for our community, we envision our community living in such a way that it reveals heaven on earth. When we talk about the cities we're in, whatever city we gather in as a church, we're talking about God's way of life restoration and renewal into those cities. We envision the common good. We envision justice and mercy and love and peace. And we believe that for the Garden Church, the best is yet to come. We believe the best is yet to come. We believe we are just getting started. Do you believe that? 
We're just getting started. Someone was looking at all around and they were walking in. They're like, this is a new season, isn't it? I said, absolutely. This is a new season. The best is yet to come. We will restore thousands of lives to wholeness in Christ. I believe we will see thousands of disciples released and unleashed into every uh, domain of society in the city and around the world and the nations. I believe our communities will multiply and they will be irresistible, that we will plant lots of churches in the next few years. I believe it. I believe that that's what we've been called to. When I came here, I wasn't thinking, we're just kind of this tiny little house church and that's all. I believe we were called into revival. We were called into the revolution. We were called into existing for other nations in this city that is the international city. I had no idea what that meant at all. (laughs) No idea how to do that. So we just put our heads down and we just kept going. And see, that's the key, is that when we started, we had no idea what we were doing and we don't really know now. We don't. What we had back then, we had this idea. What, what if we just, rather than trying to build a church, what if we just were the church? What if we just be the church? Someone was asking me, um, uh, in, in the first service, we had a, a news reporter here because there was a Huffington Post article about our church. And um, it went around to the, this group called the Voices of America, which is the largest Amer- U- United States broadcast internationally for international news around the world. And um, this Christian lady came and videotaped and asked some questions from our congregation because they thought something was compelling. It's literally gonna go all over the world talking about our story. And she asked me, what was it like? Were you trying to build a church? And I said, were you trying to build a bigger gathering? And I just said, no, actually, I wasn't trying to build a gathering. When we started, all we had was our faith in Jesus. And all we knew was that we were gonna do it with some particular convictions. That we wanted to be a church that lived out their faith seven days a week. So it wasn't about gathering on Sunday. It was about meeting the needs of people throughout the week. We wanted to be missional. We wanted to actually meet the needs. We weren't talking like missional in the sexy church language way. We were actually missional. We were serving the poor, caring for the hurting, taking care of each other's needs. We wanted to be a spiritual community where the gifts of the Spirit were present in gatherings, in in homes, at community groups. We want to become a people that would go to farmer's markets and pray for people to get healed. Even if they don't get healed, which is my story. It keeps happening. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I'm going to keep going for it. This guy had a nasty cold as he was serving out food. I'm like, are you sick? He's like, yeah, do you want some? I'm like, not anymore, but I'll pray for you. (laughs) True story. (laughs) That was yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. That was fake. I want to be a community that gathered around the scriptures and lived our lives around the scriptures. Basically, we didn't have, we didn't really know what we were doing, but what we wanted to do is continue the life and mission of Jesus. And so, as we look towards the future, as we envision what we're going to become, I want to ask you what does the future look like for you here? What do you envision? What do you dream of? What will we become? I'm gonna try to answer some of the dreams we have over the next several weeks, but today I just wanna talk about one thing really and share my observations about it. And, And it's about the future, so it's to say this. 
Whatever we become in the future, we will become it together. We have to. Are you with me? There's a a great African proverb that says this. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So this morning, I want to talk about going far. I want to talk about what it will look like for us to go far as a community and what it means to be a community. And there's some several observations that I have, and, and we'll just look at the scripture as we do it. So that's what I'm gonna talk about. Because, you know, I get people talking to me, and they'll say, hey, Darren, I visited the garden. I love I loved the worship, great teaching, or whatever. Oh, I went to the garden when you were at Cohibit. And I think to myself, every time somebody says that, is you never visited the garden. How could you? That's not where the garden exists. If you were to take away the Sunday gathering, the garden would, would actually keep going. Because our church doesn't primarily exist in a gathering. Although this is important, we're all here. We're, we're worshiping God together. We're teaching through the scriptures. We're hearing about missionaries from around the world. We're, we're, we're praying for one another. We're creating space for people to get invited. But where the church flourishes is in homes, in, in, uh, on the streets, in coffee shops, in your workplaces, in third places. That's where the garden is. That's where it was designed to be. The church is there. And excuse me, watch out front row. And if you're not... If you're, not, if you're not a part of that community, then you're not fully a part of the garden. Because we don't have membership, we have participation. If you really wanna be in the garden, if you really wanna experience the life that you were designed to live, it has to be in community. Because life is better in community. Life is better in community. Life is better in community. Now, that's, there's a problem that we have, isn't it? I say that, and most of us have been hurt by community, haven't we? Haven't most of us been hurt by relationships? It seems like the people we love the most or that have loved us the most have the most capacity to harm us. So many of us are carrying baggage and pain and broken relationship after broken relationship. And so we enter into this community idea with these pretenses and these expectations or even worse, fears, so that we avoid what happened to us last time we tried to open ourselves and become vulnerable. Amen, if you know what I'm talking about. And yet community, life is better in community. And if you look around, we see that there are all sorts of problems in the world and the world is longing for human connectedness. The technology that exists today is empowering people to connect on a greater level from all sorts of, all sorts of places and yet we're still lonely. In fact, the, modern, the lo- loneliness is the most common modern ailment. Loneliness is the most common ailment in the modern world, and it's humanity's oldest problem. Check this out. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says this. If you have a Bible, flip there. I'm going to make a quick point about community and what it means to be human. Um, And then we're going to talk about community. So Genesis, God creates all of the cosmos in chapter 1, all of the heavens and the earth. In chapter 2, it's a different creation story. In chapter 2, it's a story of what God did in Eden, particularly with Adam and Eve, okay? So two different creation accounts. The second account, God creates Adam in his own image. It says in verse seven, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Then Adam begins to exercise rule, stewardship, and authority over all creation. So point number one, God designed everything and God created humanity. Point number two, 
First observation that God makes about humanity is this. You ready? It is not good for man to be alone. Observation, loneliness is the oldest human problem. That according to Genesis 2 and 1, we were designed, we were created for authentic human relationships. The way this whole earth project began was with this great idea that humans would live in right relationship with God that humans would live in right relationship with themselves as individuals, and humans would live in right relationship with each other and the rest of the world. That the way this whole project began was in perfect, ongoing, loving relationships with everyone. That's what it means to be human. But most of us struggle with that, don't we? Most of us struggle with the idea of authentic, meaningful human relationships. Most of us have felt isolated alone. Many of us here feel lonely, yet God designed humanity to flourish in such a way. And anytime we act out of perfect loving relationships, inclusive community, anytime we isolate, anytime we exclude people because of their differences, we are in fact acting outside of what it means to be truly human, according to Genesis 1 and 2. We see that according to Genesis 1 and 2, when Genesis 3 comes into the story, sin enters into the world, and the first thing that goes is right relationship with each other and God. In other words, the human project that God set out to create was ruined by sin. But God didn't leave it there, right? The story of the entire Old Testament is God working to restore, in a nutshell, what he created in Genesis 1 and 2. God was working to restore Humanity, humanity to live in a way that reveals God to the rest of the world, but also humanity to live in right relationship with God and each other. And you read in Genesis 12, the story of Abraham. Abraham, in a time where civilizations organized themselves by tribes, and tribes meant your tribal affiliation, what lineage you come from, who your parents were, is what matters most, what language you speak, what your, your tribe, you organize yourselves by ethnicity, and it was all about survival from the other tribes. That's how you existed. But God comes around and says, no, 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 no. You're gonna be a tribe that exists for all other tribes. It, Genesis 12 says, um, I will bless you and you will be a nation that blesses all other nations. For the first time in civilization, it's recorded that there is a group of people that's designed to represent other nations, to include other nations and bless other tribes. They don't live it out. In the story of the Old Testament, we see the Israelites come around. They had the same commission according to Exodus. Just summarizing the entire Bible for you, that's fine. Hopefully you enjoy that. Um, and, and Israel is designed to live in such a way that reveals God and becomes a nation that blesses other nations, but instead they become a stumbling block. They fail. Then Jesus comes onto the scene, and guess what? He starts talking about the vocation of Israel, that they missed the opportunity to be a light to the Gentiles, anyone that wasn't Jewish, to live in such a way that reveals what it means to be human again. And Jesus dies and he's raised again and then he forms this new community through the power of the Spirit called the church. And the church is the oldest organization, family, community in history that's recorded that is designed to say it doesn't matter what language you speak, what tribal affiliation, which means your football team or... <laughs> political party, what your ethnicity is, what your gender is, how much money you make or don't make. It doesn't matter 
those things are secondary. They no longer apply. All are welcome and invited under the covering as you are all brothers and sisters of Christ. The church explodes onto the world and becomes the greatest movement in human history. Do you know this? The greatest religious movement of all time is Christianity. The largest Christian, the largest religion right now in the world. Acts 2, look at what happens. I love this. Acts 2, 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Everyone's in different languages, different belief systems, different spiritual practices. It didn't matter. You come under this umbrella that we are all one because of what Christ has done on the cross and you confess that and we're all the same. You get, to, you get a spot at the table. That's what the church became. The church is this revolutionary thing. And, and I'm sorry, I'm getting too excited. Galatians chapter three, verse 28, it says this. Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female. All are one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's child and heirs according to the promise. The church is a solution to both the ailment of the modern world and humanity's oldest problem. Where on earth can you go where it doesn't matter how much money you make? It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you have. It doesn't matter what football team you have. It doesn't matter what gender you have or what your preferences are, but we come together and we say we're family. Where else can you do that? Nowhere. It's a revolution. This is a revolution, and this is the church. This is what a community group is. This is what a community group is. A community group is part of the revolution. This is why life is better in community. When we learn to live this way with all of our differences, with all of our unique nuances that make us individuals, when we learn to come together and embrace each other's differences and work through conflict and say I'm sorry and say I forgive you, when we learn to live in authentic community where we're committed to one another, when we start to do this together, we as a church are teaching the world how to be human again. So why aren't you in community? Why aren't you in a community group? Well, I'll tell you why I'm not. I'm too busy. <laughs> I don't have time for that. My, my wife and I, we've got busy schedules, you know, and she, she's, I'm finishing my education or she's got a demanding job and it just doesn't work itself out right now. I've, I just had recently, I just recently had a second kid and, um, and you know, it, we carry them everywhere and it doesn't work with our nap schedules and all that stuff. And I totally, you know, it's all that. I, I'm really focused on myself right now before I can enter back into community. I'm focusing on my marriage right now. That's why I can't join a community. Why aren't we part of the revolution? Why aren't we evangelizing people how to be human again? Why aren't we inviting people to experience life the way it was designed to be? We have so many excuses and all to say, I don't care what your excuse is. I do care. I want to invite you to join, to experience life the way it was intended to be. Do you hear that? I do care about your excuses. That was too. <laughs> I, I do love, okay? I'm not hard. I'm quite kind. I'm just hard to you, Alyssa. Don't say another word. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. All to say, you always have time for what you value most in life. 
You always have time for what you value most in life, don't you? I don't have time to do a group, but you had time to work out. You had time to go to a Lakers game or Clippers game. You had time. You make time. You create time. You always have time for what you value most. So you sh- why should you join a community group? Because life is better in community. Life is better in community. So Ecclesiastes chapter four. I'm gonna land here and make two observations and then invite you to go and then sign up for a community group as a response. Sound good? Ecclesiastes 4. So this is written by a guy who's not a Christian. It's before, it's in the Old Testament. It's before Christianity and it's, it's human observation. It's human truth. I believe that whatever is true for Christianity is true for humanity and that where we, where we see truth in the scriptures, um, we need to validate it where we see it. And I love this, man, this, this line, um, this series of teachings in Ecclesiastes, although that's quite a misunderstood book. But this is an observation that someone's make, someone makes. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one. This is about working. It's basically saying for anyone that has ever moved their house or apartment to another place, two are better than one, amen? Amen. And if you own a truck, you're cursed because, (laughs) (laughs) amen again. Um, But two are better than one. They're basically saying when, uh, that's the human reality that two, whenever you, you work on something, whenever there's labor, it doesn't exponentially grow that business or that product or that labor by, by twice as much. It's usually three or four times. Two, it's an observation. Two are better than one. Better than one. There's, they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. How amazing is that? If either of them falls down, one can help them up. And the next line is quite powerful. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And this is where my heart breaks. Because I have seen so many people fall and have no one there to pick them up. And if I trace kind of a story, I've seen marriages fall apart in the last seven years of being a pastor. And if I would trace the story, it it began with people saying they're married and they, they step away from community. You know, and they're focusing on their, their business. They step away from living intentionally with other people. And by the time their marriage goes south and maybe there's a moral failure, by the time it gets there, they're scrambling. They're looking for somebody to help them up when if they would have just been in community, they would have prevented that outcome. Or, or, or um, th- th- you just see all the time marriages. It's, it's not even just in marriage. It's not even in relationships. Think about what happens when somebody gets sick. I mean, uh, it's ama- the church will respond. If you are here and you're not in community, the church will respond with compassion. If a loved one dies, if you're in the hospital, we will do our best to live a compassionate life and serve you. But the most effective way to, to come up from sickness or a crisis is to be live in a way that you are, are sharing life. You're living in community because that's what, how church is designed. It's designed so that they'll walk with you in crisis. Recently, I just heard the story of a new couple in our church that um, showed up and we weren't doing community groups. They came to a, a Summer of Love event. They met another couple. She goes into early labor. They drop off their other kid at this couple's, this, this stranger's house, basically, the new couple from the garden. And the baby gets sick. And they're in the hospital. And so next thing I know, our staff is hearing about this story. Our staff's praying for this family. We don't know them. I've only met them once. They're not in a group. They're recent at the, at the garden. Um, uh, but when the baby gets well and it comes out of the hospital, they're getting meals from people that don't even know them. That's community. 
Who's there to pick you up when you fall? Who's there to help you move when you need to move? Who's there to cover rent when you're gonna have trouble paying rent? Are you scrambling or do you live in such a way that someone is there to pick you up when you fall? And if you don't have it now, you won't have it then. This is my observation. Uh, One of the observations that I have is community is preventative. Community is preventative. Because this is what happens in community. You open your life to other people to, to speak into your life when you don't see it coming. Community is preventative. You uh, give people permission to say to you, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I noticed this about the way you talk about your spouse. Have you ever been out to dinner with another couple and you listen to the way they talk to each other and you see it coming and they don't even see it coming? You've been around people with kids and the way they talk to the kids, you can see it coming, you can feel it. Community is the place that prevents you from failure, prevents you from falling. And it's there like an investment to carry you through those seasons. And it prevents those those things from happening. You give people permission in authentic community to speak into your life, to prevent it from happening. If you're married, be with other married couples that have permission to speak into your life. One of the greatest gifts I have, my wife is in the first service, is my wife because she calls me out on everything. (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) Oh, I need some solidarity. It's so true. It's like she, she is so amazing that she makes sure that I am a person of my word. And anytime I act out of character, she calls me out. That's the power of marriage that I am working through. I'm literally being sanctified, becoming... It sounds so strange, but you're working through your character flaws. You're working through your life because she has permission to speak into my life. When we first got married, we argued a lot, big time, big time. And none of our friends were married, so we thought we were, we were screwed. Excuse me, we thought we were done. We were like, okay. And then we met some other married couples and they're like, oh no, that's totally normal. Like you argue like, yeah, oh yeah, everyone argues like that. And we're like, oh my gosh, thank God that other people fight as well. And that's the gift of community. Has that, you're basically saying to people, no, it's, it's okay. It's totally normal. Let's just keep going. Keep going. When we got kids, you know, you start having kids. And, and you know, I just want to say, if you are here and you have kids, do not pull away from community, even though it's hard. Raising a human being is the hardest thing you can possibly do on this planet, I guarantee it. I mean, it is, it is hard, and you need family around to say, nope, that's totally normal. Let me help you with that. I experienced that, and let me just say, moms, you're gonna be given all sorts of advice. Just ignore everyone, okay? And if we are giving advice, make sure we're following up and we're there when they need us. Okay, so anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, but my point is, you help us, help, let the garden help you walk through the seasons of life. Single people, all the single lady, all the single people in here. <laughs> I actually did the little dance move in the first service. I'm not gonna do it now. No, it's video podcast, video podcast. Uh, it's just like, you know, this thing. <laughs> I still got it. <laughs> the only reason I did it is my wife's not here, so don't tell her, okay? <laughs> so single people, 
uh, I want to read this because I said it in the first one and people were like, I don't believe you. I believe this. Most marriage, marriage problems aren't marriage problems. They are single people problems that are brought into the marriage. Single people, um, you have a gift right now to say yes to community and ask people in your life to help you become the person you were designed to be to work through your character, to work through your single issues that what you will carry, I promise, I am a testimony, bringing all of my singleness into my marriage and working through all sorts of conflict over time. Thank God Bill's here, right? Because Bill walked me through a lot of that stuff, Bill, the other teaching pastor. The invitation for you is to step into community and live in an authentic way where your character is becoming more like Jesus. You're walking out the scriptures. You're letting people speak into life because other people will see it coming before you see it. Do it now. And if you are married and you wish you had a community that did that before you were married, will you just raise a hand or say amen? amen. A little louder, nudge your spouse. <laughs> Lastly, and then we'll close, community is an investment. Community is an investment. If you wait, it won't be there when you need it. It's like retirement. If you don't invest now, it won't be there when you need it. You have to start now when the tragedy comes. The community will be there for you. But if you wait, you won't be there. And let me just say this for the kids. Be, get your kids into ministry. Get them into the youth group. I just have to say, I know that we are a diverse church, that we are in a diverse neighborhood, that we are doing something that is more human than other churches. I don't compare that, but it's hard, isn't it? Expectations, preferences, we wanna go to other communities where the youth is figured out or whatever it is that you think about. I wanna just say right here, we are fighting for the type of church that reveals God to the rest of the world. And we have to figure it out. And that's gonna come by us saying, I will lay down my preferences for my brothers and sisters. I will lay down my rights to help figure out what this looks like for the next generation. Because kids, if you're here and you grew up in kids ministry and you're in your 20s, you should be serving in our youth ministry, period. You should be discipling. We need to be passing it on to the next generation. Our youth groups need small groups. They're launching small groups this fall. It's gonna be awesome. Citywide youth groups. And we need your participation, parents. Amen? Okay, I'll, I'll just leave it there. We need to fight for it, and I know it's hard. My, I just say this. I know we gotta get to the fall fest. I want some ice cream. Um, you know what I'm thinking about all the time now as a pastor in the city? What kind of, what kind of city can I help create for my son? I walk the streets, I pray. I walk down schools, I pray. I come here, I pray. I go to coffee shops, I go to different restaurants. I literally am praying, Lord, may I create a better community for the sake of the next generation. Even if I don't experience it, may, will it be better for them? If I wanted to go alone, I would go fast. I'm sorry, if I wanted to go fast, I would go alone. If I wanted to go far, if we want to go far, we have to go together. We're thinking about the next generation. Amen? Community is investment. Start now or you won't do it. And through one, uh, Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. 
In other words, life is better in community. Life is better in community. Join a community group and learn how to be human again. Join a community group and learn how to love those that you wouldn't necessarily know how to love. I'm so passionate about this, guys. I'll end with this story. Our church started as a community group, just a few people, and it grew. Been in so many small groups, it's ridiculous. I'll tell you this, there was a season, I've shared the story openly, my wife was here in the first service, but when Ezra was born, seven weeks into his, his life, he got sick, really sick, and he went to the hospital for five days, and it wrecked us. His health was gone. When we came out and he was better, he, he was on a slow road to recovery because he had lung issues, um, my wife became severely traumatized by the event where she was treated for PTSD because it was so traumatic. We didn't sleep much those five days. Um, it was terrifying. She, we, we literally, our home became quarantined where we didn't let anyone in because we were afraid of him getting sick. She also started experiencing postpartum depression. And that's a real thing. And you can't just wish somebody out of it or say just be happy or pray more, Okay. <laughs> Please don't give that advice to moms. Moms, if you hear that from someone, come talk to me. And moms, if you're struggling with depression, it's totally normal. And there's a group of women in our church that would love to walk with you. And look for connect groups, get into a community group, talk openly. I talk openly from here so that you can as well. Amen? My wife was so depressed. It was horrible. I stopped working. We thought we weren't gonna come back to the church. It was devastating. I thought life as I knew it was done. She was so, she wouldn't get out of bed. She it was so miserable. And you ever have like a bad season and then there's that day where it's like, how on earth can it get any worse? That I had one of those days and I'll never forget it because I was so, I had so much despair. I was so angry at God. I said, um, God, just like, I cussed, blank, do something. And we get a knock on the door later that evening. We had a goodie bag that somebody dropped off from our church with letters and gift cards from our church and prayers. And my wife, we just opened one card after another and began to weep, hysterically weep. And we realized we weren't alone. We realized we were never alone. And it was the breakthrough moment. It was the moment where, we, where healing entered into our life and we went on a road to recovery and she's completely healed and processed that life and, and restored. But I'll tell you what it was. It was because community made sure that we weren't alone in our suffering. They were, they were prayers written with tears. Are you here and you need community? Are you here and you feel alone? Are you here and you've fallen and you need someone to help you up? This is what it's for. This is what it's for. You are not alone. We are the church, so let's be the church. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.